be one journalist of the year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my way. She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by Dr. Tobias Schenkel's Synthiotics. Do you like the reality you're watching now? Do you like depression, bickering, poverty, war and disease? Do you like yourself? You can't change this reality. But as the Buddhists say, there is more than one reality. And now Dr. Tobias Schenkel's Synthiotic Techniques can help switch you to these alternative realities. Don't be left behind. Get your mental upgrade today. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And uh, if you feel like upgrades are a little ominous these days, it could be, uh, could be the, the sense that summer is coming to an end, or it could just be the fact that you can't hear this podcast clearly because Dave upgraded his computer. This is <laughs> such a pain. I, I had hot, big, massive RAM put in my iMac a few years ago, and it was rip-roaring beast. This is beast. not a metaphor. This is, this is actual hot... Ram. Yeah, I, hot ram. Not I, uh, and hello and welcome back everyone before we get into Dave's hot ram. All right, I'll say I just it. want to say hi and thanks for being here with us this week. Please, Dave, do do continue because the my, one of my number one issues this summer has been every time I go to update any program or any software or it updates on its own, mm-hmm. the upgrade feels significantly more like a downgrade. That's just universal truth about computers. Like I say, I had a memory put in my Mac to make it a hot rod. Then I had my Mac fixed by Apple Store. And when they fixed it, they wouldn't guarantee the memory because it was not Mac memory. So they gave the chips back to me and put factory original RAM back in it, which slowed it down like the Dickens. And then I sold the RAM because I figured I'd change machines pretty soon. I haven't changed machines, but the other day, Skype forced me to upgrade my OS because Skype quit working. People couldn't call me anymore. They said it's because I didn't have the latest version, which wouldn't work on the OS that I had. So I upgraded the OS. So now it's a faster, uh, uh, pardon me, a thicker, heavier, more painful OS with less RAM than I've worked with (laughs) for all these years. And my Mac is so slow. Oh, I'm apologizing. I may have to do this podcast in segments and get back to you. <laughs> oh, well, I will tell you this. I do not have all the fancy equipment that you have. Nobody does. I have this thing called a laptop, and I have another one called a cell phone, which apparently is now called a smartphone. <laughs> and when the smartphone decides to update itself, yeah. and then I can't even log into my very own apps because I can't remember my password, yeah, which my is my number one problem with all updates, is I can't remember my password. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say, um, for, those with the, uh, it, it, for those at home, we are not taping this inside a giant tin can. <laughs> um, there may be a slight echo effect on, on, on your speakers. Look, I, I, I think the, the fear of forgetting all of your passwords is, is like the number one modern nightmare. <laughs> because at that point, you really don't exist. You, you, you can't get your emails. Uh, you may not be able to unlock your phone so no one can call you. You exist, but you can't prove it. That's the problem. Yeah, you become yes, a ghost. that's the problem. You become like a ghost person <laughs> because you go to log into something that perhaps you've been using every single day for, say, I don't know, seven or eight years, and your phone decides to update it and ask you for, I don't know, let's say my Twitter password. <laughs> and I'm like, I 
Mm. Uh, uh, ooh, what, did, what did I use there this time? Jim, all your friends and your colleagues and your professional associates all start to think after a while, I wonder whatever happened to that guy. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and it's one of those things where if, if, you know, you look at every, you know, classic reference to a password uh, in, in throughout human history, human literature, it's always, you know, Ishmael or the black dog barks at midnight. Or something. No one ever says it's capital H, lowercase p, QR124. Dollar sign. Dollar sign the hashtag. Is no one can remember those, right? You know, so, you know, we, well, we, and I am infamous for screw it. Just send me a new password and I'll reset the damn thing. World wars would have been lost if people had to remember those passwords in order to, well, here we are, and the computer seems to be running okay for now, so uh, let the podcast continue. Oh, fantastic. So, listeners, you know up front, and, and we'll go ahead and blame everything on Dave this week, which we don't normally do because usually that's what I save for Jim. That's fair. Um, but he's, yes, but he's been, you know, Jim's been kind of busy as well. Oh, boy, um, finally back in the swing of things and, uh, and, and playing Pokemon with the kids, right? Uh, a little bit less of that. I don't know if you noticed, know, Pokemon Go usership has dropped dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some of this is because we were actually, uh, because it rained last week and we were not going to go traipsing around in the rain. Um, so we actually did less of that. But we've been actually, you know, trying to have offline fun and not get the guys uh, completely obsessed with screen time. Um, but, you know, speaking of the, the small creatures in your life, Mickey, did I, did I read correctly that, like, it's never been more expensive to own a dog? Correct. Yes. Okay. Congratulations, new pep, new puppy owner. <laughs> yes, I know, right? It's like congratulations. Tuition or something? Or you have, you know, you gotta, just, gotta send them to a four-year school? Well, they say that you can spend upwards of a thousand dollars in the very first year of having a dog, and I can see how that would happen. Um, I can see how that's happening. I should say, um, simply because puppies are now required to have several different vaccines, and they're required over multiple months, and then they need boosters. And all of these things need to be done in the first year. Plus, you need to have them fixed. Um, you know, this is all and, Obamacare, and, I'm assuming. You know, I, all these new regulations. You know what it is? It's the fact that we've turned our pets into our children. Yes. And one of the things I have said to Mr. Bias on the regular is we need to come up with, a, with something to sell to pet owners because they will clearly spend any amount of money on their pets. Like, it doesn't matter how bad the economy is. If it's a pet oriented business, it is booming. PetSmart is like the Sylvan Learning Center for your, your dog. <laughs> it is absolutely insane. It's not, you know, pet good. It's pet smart. Like, is your dog getting the education he needs? And do you understand that I have now developed an opinion between PetSmart and Petco, whereas, like, I lived beside them for years and never knew really which was even what, which one was which. I always right. prefer PetSmart. I have a personal preference, and I know the people there. That's how often I go out for my dog's <laughs> thing. So, yes, it's expensive. And then... On top of it, the thing that really started my whole dog hunt or getting me much more interested in dogs was that the Today Show had brought in a puppy for a purpose that they called Wrangler. And they had Wrangler for the first, I believe it was like 18 months of his life to socialize him before he went on to become a service dog. Well, just this week, they got their second puppy for a purpose and they named him Charlie. So you can follow him on Twitter and other social media at Today Puppy. And needless to say, I'm obsessed all over again. One of those other morning talk shows had a had a dog for a while, and his name was Tiki Barber. They ended up having to get rid of him. 
<laughs> I think they put him down. I haven't seen him in a while. <laughs> All right, so here is here is your your consulting gig, Mickey. Uh, you're going to help people build social media profiles for their pets. Yes, that that right. actually yeah that would be good because obviously Shiloh kind of has his own social media presence. Right. I mean, does he have his own Twitter account? Get he on that. I up, think up. he doesn't because he tweets for mine if necessary. No, um, no, but, no, if you, although people have told me he should have his own account, so maybe I'll go ahead and set one of those up. You need to kind of create the impression that if your your animal is your your pet is tweeting from your social media account, that you are somehow oppressing your animal. <laughs> you are uh, what are they, what's what's the PC term? You're culturally appropriating your your pet's experiences. That's right. Yes, he should have his own Twitter account. You're absolutely right. The cats should probably have their own too. They actually occasionally send out tweets. Because if the laptop is open, they'll just walk right across it and off they go. (laughs) It is time for the secret life of pets to stop being secret, to come out of the closet. (laughs) You know, I still have not seen that movie, and yet I wonder if my pets would fall into the same line. Somehow I feel like they would be different. You got your uh, dog an iPod yet? Do you have an iPod? Can he hit the pause button is what I'm asking. Oh, no. Very good, Dave. And no, he does not have his own iPod or iPad yet. Um, However, and and you guys will love this, uh, we were shopping in my new favorite store, Petco, by the way, um, and I found these games for dogs. So it's kind of like what you would give a toddler where they'd put the blocks in. You know, like a square goes in a square, a circle goes in a circle. Well, they've got the same kind of thing set up for dogs, only when they put them in the right things or push the right buttons, then a treat pops up. Mm-hmm. A little Pavlovian. So, I, yes, exactly. And so I'm like, well, we need to have all of these. And Mr. Bias looked at me like I had officially grown that second head. He keeps saying <laughs> might appear on my shoulders. Honey, if we don't get this, our dog will never get into Harvard. That's exactly. Right. He's like, he's not taking an SAT. I was like, yeah, but look, he said, they say he could get bored and this would make him smarter. And Mr. Bias, of course, looks at me and, and thinks that I've lost my mind and proceeds to explain to me that our puppy probably does not need to know his ABCs. <laughs> you, you know, know you nothing more disappointing than the dogs that have to go to their safety obedience schools <laughs> instead of Ivy League obedience schools. They've had their hearts set on. We all know. Wait, I, I don't want Tyler to have to go to a state school like I did. <laughs> <laughs> you thought that uh, that chewing was an obsessive behavior, but really he was just trying to make the square peg into a round one so it would fit in there. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so I have obviously, you know, I've fallen in love with the idea of buying these things for my pets, and of course now creating a pet business because of course as you mentioned not only is it expensive people are willing to spend the money now you are still a pet free home is that correct mr garrity uh we are if you don't count the spiders um nobody counts the spiders no one and so have you given any thought to what would be like an introductory pet like maybe a goldfish or something yeah, I, I suppose um, we have chipmunks in the backyard. We have a fox that bedevils our these are small pets. garden. Um, we, we, I guess that's the thing is because I'm frequently dealing with the animal kingdom as an unwanted intrusive force yeah. in my house. Um, Zika mosquitoes, things like that. I, I kind of feel like no, there's, I, I have enough contact with the animal kingdom as is. I, um, I like the domain of man. I like civilization. I don't feel the need to uh, invite uh, 
other species into the house. I feel you're like also, we're, we're pretty specially, species diverse as is. You're also holding out and maintaining your nobility in light of the great risk of cultural appropriation of dog culture and anthropomorphization. <laughs> unjust. There you go. <laughs> there are great things that you're not doing, Jim. Congratulations. Also, plus, I don't want poop in my house. Uh, that's any more poop. Well, and this, this is why I feel like you need to actually introduce you, your boys, your entire family to Cesar Milan. He is the dog whisperer. That's what he's most famous for, is for training dogs. And now he's got a new show called Cesar 911, when you can call and actually have him come in and help you with your troubled animal. And I think that it'd be something that'd be a great introduction for you and the kids. Um, And I'm sure, Jim, one of the things you love most in life as a parent is when you get advice (laughs) on parenting. (laughs) Especially from those that don't have children. We're going to be talking about that right after this. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And you're listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. Walt Disney's Sleeping Beauty. An unbelievable achievement in the art of animation. A timeless love story. With excitement, adventure, and awesome villains. Walt Disney's Sleeping Beauty, rated G. He's the bold one. He's the one we want. There's a bold one in every family. Anywhere the bold one goes, he gets dirtier than anyone else. He's the bold one. He's the one we want. Bold can make the bold one bright. Bold can make even the bold one bright. Because bold... As a power team that breaks up tough dirt and lifts it away. A power team so strong it makes things more than clean. So strong it makes things bright. Here's Cousin Harriet. Here's Cousin Gilbert. And, um, here you are. He's the bold one. He's the one we want. Bold for the bold one in your family. Bold can make the bold one bright. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am your host, Mickey White, along with my co-host, Jim Garrity. And while my parenting days and first days of school are over, Jim is just in the heat of it with his boys. So as the summer comes to an end, we look forward to what most parents consider the most wonderful time of the year. Back to school. I was just, it was at Staples or Office Depot, which used to have the commercial of the dad dancing and happily and jo- with great joy, putting mm-hmm. lots of school supplies into the cash register. Um, I, I kind of think I look forward to having that feeling as a parent because uh, I grew up in the New Jersey area. School usually began like the Tuesday after Labor Day, um, but we would vacation in the Hilton Head area. And down south, they they go to school a little bit earlier. Last week of school is either last or the first week of school is either the last week of August or in some cases even before then. Um, and so I would be seeing on my family vacation all the back to school ads. And so it's as if the, the you know these advertisers are saying your vacation is almost over, you know, uh, and reminding me that you know school and and all the uh, uh, stresses and aggravations and everything you didn't like school was just right around the corner. So I actually found myself not feeling that as a parent um, in that because the kids uh, most of the time are in a daytime summer camp uh, that gets, you know, they get dropped off around the same time that school begins. They get picked up around the time the school would end. Um, 
the biggest difference between summer life and, and the rest of the seasons in this house is in the summer, I never have to tell my older son to do his homework. And it's a joy. <laughs> well, yes. And I think that, you know, over the years, it has occurred to me that children seem to be doing more and more homework than I remember doing. I remember having it in high school. And I remember having a little bit here and there, but I also remember kind of, you know, not necessarily doing a great deal of homework at home, but that changed with my stepson and, and other people's children that I've seen growing up. And a teacher in Texas is looking to change that. Randy Young, a second grade teacher at Godley Elementary School in Godley, Texas, wrote that, quote, after much research over the summer, Students will not be assigned any homework other than any schoolwork that was not completed in class that day. <clears throat> Research has been unable to prove that homework improves student performance, Young wrote in a letter, making me raising the question, Mickey, where was this research when I was in school? Um, rather, I ask that you spend your evenings doing things that are proven to correlate with student success. Uh, so she, she suggests parents eat dinner with their children, read together, play outside, and get their kids to bed early during the hours that would have been spent on assignments. That sounds terrific to me, Mickey. Uh, or is this uh, or is this proto millennial uh, kids who can't handle it and and they just need a happier, warmer, and you know softer life? No, I actually tend to side with the teacher on this, based on what I had just said earlier and the fact that I remember having some homework, but I think it's gotten to the point where teachers are sending more and more classwork home, mm. and therefore a lot of parents are feeling like the you know whatever, eight hours their child spends in school all day, then they have to spend two, three more hours at home working on homework. They're starting to wonder what happens during that eight hours that they're in school because these students aren't scoring better on tests. And one of the things that the teacher points out, and I, I'm curious to see how parents will react and how our listeners would react to this thought, but she's right in pointing out that it's not homework that precludes success. It is actually being active in a family network, sitting down and eating dinner, spending time, you know, with friends and being socially active as well and spending time with a happy family, so to speak. Now, do parents have time to do those things? I don't know. Does this change in her classroom? Maybe, but it certainly opens up a conversation about how much homework actually does help students and at what age is it appropriate? And mm -hmm. I think... You know, if you took that hour that you were going to spend with your child and do homework and you read to them instead, isn't that just as beneficial? Yeah. Um, I, I kind of look at this and I'm left scratching my head because <clears throat> homework – Mrs. Campaign Spot and I have sometimes kind of said that one of the problems with a, uh, the homework load at, at our community school, which is admittedly uh, we picked the, the house in the neighborhood because of the school district – um, well, I'll just call it Authenticity Woods Elementary is the kind of school that's so competitive, uh, even the Tiger Moms think it's okay. Um, it's the kind of school where at, at the advanced program, the teacher who runs it says, look, the advanced program for second, third, fourth, fifth graders, it's not about getting your kids into Harvard. And you could just see all the parents' hands shoot up and say, okay, where's the room where I learn how to send my kids to Harvard? Um, this is definitely the high-achieving, high-driving uh, uh, you know, e e you know, driven parent community, and then that, that, there's a lot of good things about that. Um, having said that, you do kind of wonder at some point of 
homework is a phenomenon that really like it, it dominates your your schooling years from whatever age you start getting it all the way through college all the way through high school and then into college and things like that Mickey, I know you've worked madly on in all of your media jobs in the past, the radio station jobs and, and all that kind of stuff. But do you notice that like most people's jobs don't involve, okay, you've done all your work for the day and now's your work here's the work we want you to do at home. Like homework is this very bizarre phenomenon to say to schools, okay, work all day. And now here's the other stuff we want you to do at home in your own house. Well, and I think that's what makes parents a little bit uncomfortable is the idea that they are paying for the teachers that their children spend their day with. And then they come home and still have more work to do than they should, in a lot of parents' opinions, have to do. Um, As someone who did work in media and worked ridiculous hours... I am well aware that the rest of the population does not do that because as I was in those years, I had friends who worked normal jobs and you're right. They didn't have homework when they left at the end of the day. Their job was done. You know who had the most homework usually? Teachers. Yeah. They're always grading things. Uh, doing all that paper. Now, I also would note that, and maybe this is my, you know, remem- remembering my, my childhood with rose-colored glasses, <clears throat> I have a chapter on this in, uh, in Heavy Lifting. Mickey, schools have a lot of projects these days. And it's not just the, oh, glue some macaroni to a construction paper and do a collage type projects and stuff like that. My uh, friends recently had one where they had to bring in 10 items imported from another country. Oh, my and they had God. To be, and they had to be all different. He couldn't just bring in like, oh, here's 10 chopsticks or something like that. Or, you know, and I remember. Saying, oh, my God. What are they opening up a Pier 1 store or something? I was just thinking World Market. I would go straight to World Market, buy my 10 items and get out of there. <laughs> they're, they're going through their house and, and I, I think at assigned countries. And I'm like, I, I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't think I have 10 things imported from Kenya in my house. Maybe I do. I don't know. I, like, well, yeah, that's the other part of it is, you know. Some of these countries, if they're being assigned, where do the kids find them? Yeah. Well, then I think, is this, is this secretly propaganda for the American Protectionist League to demonstrate how many jobs are being taken away by foreign imports um, or something like that? Meanwhile, I feel like it's an ad for, you know, trade. So there you go. Yeah. It, it's just very, you know, so I think the, the, the assignments are getting, you know, more complicated and elaborate. And people say, oh, this is. Uh, disadvantaging uh, students who don't have parents who are as active or don't have the resources or are working two jobs and don't have the time to, to invest. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a you know, legitimate complaint. Um, I'm just kind of left wondering uh, whether, the, again, it's not really the biggest start of school season. In, in, in the minds of most parents, it's the, uh, the start of school project season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in September, so you're saying that we are well past the days of putting the baking soda in the gelatin and exploding up all of the volcanoes. Oh yeah, ba- baking soda and vinegar. That's yeah, that's trite and cliche now. <laughs> at the minimum. Not in my house. Not in my house. Damn it. Um, okay, but I'm wondering, and I'm, and I'm trying to now picture uh, my stepson coming home with a project that entails ten things that are imported from specific other countries. And obviously the big ones are going to be easy. China, Mexico, you, you know, you can probably find those relatively quickly. Half your home electronics are from Taiwan. Right. You know. Okay. So you've got your, your that. clothes are from the Philippines or, or something like that. So, yeah. So there's you know, Indonesia. You, you start to knock a few off right off, off tops. But what if you get like Uzbekistan? Oh. 
Yeah. If you get Afghanistan, are you supposed to bring heroin into school? Ah, uh, very good. Yeah. <laughs> Here are some IEDs I found. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> if it was Uzbekistan. And to Dave and I's conversation prior to the show and show prep. Or if you're from Colombia, you can bring in cocaine. <laughs> there you go. What do, we, what do we get from that country? Yeah. From Uzbekistan, you could uh, you could bring the in learning experience for all the kids. Big mustache <laughs> dictators. Great, and I, well, it just makes me very curious. Um, as you said, I think those are the type of activities that probably do cause the most problems as far as what is equal as far as education in a public situation versus a private situation. Um, one of the things that I benefit from is the school district in which I live in. We have governor schools available. We have specialty schools available as the child gets older. Um, we also have some great programs that allow them to take college credits while they're still in high school. And those make sense to me for children that are able to take advantage of them. Now, as far as having my elementary school student running around world market. Market, trying to pick up a thing from if you're Hello? single okay. if you're a single mom um paying for that i think that'd be a problem yeah and, and i kind of feel like there's a um the parent teachers association in uh, authenticity woods i'm not saying it operates quite like the mafia um but if, if but if you don't pay your dues you do wake up with these stuffed horses head uh, oh dude i have got to tell you guys the story real quick before we wrap this segment when i was home in clearfield you guys know i was a swimming kid and so we i had swimming parents and for those of you who are familiar swim team parents are are different to say the least and i ran into an a couple of swim team parents that i had known since i was about eight years old and they introduced me to their grandchild who looked just like their mother who I used to swim with. She was a rival of mine. And they're explaining to me that while she's talented, she doesn't have the, quote, killer instinct yet. And when they said killer instinct once, they said it at least four more times. To yeah. Mr. Bias, as we're walking away, says, so, do you think she'll get the killer instinct? <laughs> and all I could think was, well... Some teen parents, they're different. And so when you talk about aggressive parenting and specifically the the behavior of the mob, if you will, the Sopranos <laughs> of the swim team, um, that is immediately what I thought of. And I think that, you know, it comes back to things we've talked about on the show before about parents living vicariously through their children. And fortunately, you don't have to have that problem. You can let your kids kind of be your kids. Yeah, which is probably a, a healthier attitude and things like that. You don't want to find yourself having to commit murder just to keep up with the Joneses and or the other uh, PTA, other swim team parents or <coughs> the Costa Nostra of the uh, local PTA. Uh, but we'll be looking at some recent true crimes and giving updates on past crimes we've talked about on this podcast <laughs> right after this. Hurry, folks. Step right up. Shoot a duck. And win a jar of natural orange-flavored Tang. It's the new improved Tang that tastes better than ever. Boy, I like instant Tang, but I hate the idea of shooting a relative. Just shoot one little duck, duck, and get this big jar of Tang. Tang? Goodbye, Auntie. You missed, but you can't miss with Tang. And if you really want Tang at its best, make up a pitcher full and cool it off in the refrigerator overnight. Great for breakfast or any tasty old time. Mm. Just got to win some of that tang. Okay, Aunt Duck, hold still. Why, you miserable tangster? Now wait, I was just kidding. 
March. To blood up, folks, get the rabbit and win a big jar of tang. It's a living drink tang, gang. It's tangerific. Back to the Jim and Mickey show. Yeah, crank up the radio. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. You know, Mickey, in science, the term observer effect refers to changes that the act of observation will make on a phenomenon being observed. In other words, your measuring instruments will sometimes change the thing that you're looking at. I kind of wonder if there's the same thing for crime in the sense that if you look hard enough at a crime and investigate it and bring enough public attention to it, uh, it kind of almost acts as a catalyst for new events and consequences and things like that. One of your favorite passionate topics is true crime. And you say that everything we've talked about in past podcasts has something new update, like the um, – what was the cable show about the women in Ohio disappearing? Yes, the disappearing women in Chillicothe, Ohio. We talked about that. It was on Discovery ID, a fascinating story about a small town and 10 missing women – I'm sorry, six missing women in a less than a year. And the – suspect went to trial in July and they're actually wrapping that up next week so I encourage all of our listeners to catch the finale if you haven't seen the previous six episodes now's a great time to do so uh, six women went missing four were found dead in a town of less than 20,000 so pretty kind of impactful in a very small area um, talks a little bit about small town life the heroin e- epidemic and things that we don't necessarily see that are right in front of our eyes and also it has the creepiest soundtrack I've ever heard in my entire life. Now, the big update this week, however, is on Brendan Dassey, who was the nephew of Steve Avery, the featured subject in Making of a Murderer. As some of our listeners may remember, you know, this is a this is a series, if you will call it that, a series of documentary series that was just super impactful to me as someone who had followed this case through the initial rape case and now through um, the additional charges that were brought against him. And the nephew, as you may remember, Jim, um, was the one that while they were interviewing, many people felt like he was not mentally capacitated, um, capable rather of taking these questions and answering them truthfully, honestly, or even in a way that made any sense. And when the videos were shown of his interviews, which were claimed to be a confession, the public outcry was so strong that now they have overturned his case and they've overturned his conviction. The state now has 90 days to file and they are refile rather. And they are suggesting that a lot of it is going to hinge on what the victim's family thinks. If it's worth it to refile. And again, the, with this happening, one of the things used in the Stephen Avery case were not necessarily the testimony specifically of Brennan Dassey, but the facts that the, that he gave during his confession then led to search warrants. And I now am forced to wonder if all of those search warrants are fruit of the poison tree. So we've got a lot going on in that case out in Wisconsin. Um, and as someone who followed the series very closely, as someone who's followed the case very closely, I know that the family believes they have the right people. And it'll be very curious to me to see um, if they decide that it's worth it to refile against Brendan Dassey after seeing 
both the public reaction and also seeing the quote-unquote confession themselves because it certainly was not the confession that it was made out to be both in the public there where they made the jury pull from and obviously within the courtroom itself. You know, considering, okay, Mickey, do you think that the true crime genre and what happens when you take a really lengthy look at how uh, police investigations are done, how suspects are uh, identified and selected, uh, incriminated, and, and some would say, uh, some would argue railroaded. Do you think this like undermines public faith in the police, public faith in the justice system, or do you think it's more specific of, oh, well, in this town, it's where they've got you know, deeply flawed law enforcement? Uh, knowing that I am obviously a true crime buff and junkie, Mm -hmm. here's what I will tell you. It makes you look at the law differently. It makes you look at your own personal rights differently. Um, one of the things I I think we talked about a couple episodes ago when we talked about the Ryan Ferguson case, the, the dream killers case was one of the things his father said specifically was talk to your kids about how to talk to the police. Because, and this is something that adults need to remember as well. One of the things that people often find themselves doing in a situation is, oh, well, the cops are asking me a question, so I want to be helpful, and I want to give them answers. What these series, um, and then obviously there's more than one, what these series allow us to see is that a lot of times in trying to be helpful, an innocent person gives the police just enough information for them to use against them. Mm-hmm. And and it's not all police, but I think that it's something that people need to be aware of because it can happen to anyone. And that's the key part. It's not that it happens to anyone, but that it could happen to anyone. Hmm. <clears throat> you know, I was trying to think about what the most successful um, true crime uh, uh, work uh, has been. And obviously you mentioned you know, the, the serial, the podcast, and, and a couple television shows. Do you know what the longest running New York Times bestseller of all time is, Mickey? In Cold Blood? Good guess, but not quite. Well, we're on true crime, so I had to. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you a lot of listeners made that same guess. <clears throat> no, the, the uh, longest running bestseller in New York Times bestseller list history, uh, is indeed something of a, a true crime story. It is Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Oh, uh, yes. I own that, too. All right. Written by John Berent. And I believe it's spent, I'm um, looking at this, 216 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. You can do the math. That's about four years. Um, and I, I was thinking about that one. I was like, oh, okay. So you, you might have said that would have been this, this great kickstarting to this. And I went back and I looked it up. You know, John Berent has written two books in his life. I was that not aware of that. Yeah, this, that one and the second book was The City of Falling Angels, which was about the, um, uh, <clears throat> a fire that destroyed an opera house in Venice. And I remember reading that and trying to make my way through it and kind of sort of liking it, but it <clears throat> you know, just didn't carry you through a uh, mysterious the, the story of a mysterious city uh, the way this one did. But I kinda, it's, it's interesting that you'd figure um, this would be a genre. That, I guess it's never really died, but it definitely seems to wax and wane and has – Mm. Devil in the White City is a fantastic one as well about Mm. serial killer um, H.H. Holmes going on during the Chicago World's Fair. Mm. And again, fantastically told another author, though, that when you get to the second book, you're like, what happened to the first one? Mm. 
Was there a book about the uh, Black Dahlia story in L.A. in the 40s? Yes. Yeah, that one keeps getting new, uh, retold and and, and Well, that's because some guy keeps deciding that he's – some guy has decided that his stepfather was the guy who killed the Black Dahlia, who wrote a book about it. He now, like, gives tours the house and things like that. So and, and what I, I – I'm so frustrated with that particular case because it's probably never going to be actually solved. I guess that's the other thing is that, that every true crime story – begins with the the promise of that there is an answer right that there is some you know something that that if enough people watch this someone will remember seeing something someone will be jogged by this um the idea that the the as i said the act of observing the act of watching this can actually be some sort of communal effort towards justice and that the documentary filmmaker is kind of a detective themselves laying out all the pieces of the puzzle and creating a coherent narrative out of it. Uh, for um, me, people want to be in the film of the documentary, so they tell the interviewer things he wants to hear. <laughs> well, and then there's that, and 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 I'm just going to add to this: um, the Lifetime Movie Network is now also making movies about these. You guys may remember we talked about Jinx, which is about Robert Durst, another yeah. true crime story. And now the Lifetime Movie Network is making a movie about that. Um, they also have a movie coming out called The Girl in the Box, which, weirdly enough, or just like my life enough, that is actually the very first true crime book that I ever read. Huh. And it is not appropriate for a child of 10 to read, but I did anyway. And now they've got a movie coming out about it, so I'm a little fascinated to see it. And that was about the girl who was, she was held captive by a couple and lived under their bed for about two years, but they actually had her for seven total years in captivity. Yeah. You know, the difference between the work of an actual detective and the work of a documentary filmmaker is that if you're watching a documentary and somebody says they didn't mean it, they didn't see anything, it almost certainly means they did see something, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas somebody who says they saw something suddenly becomes a suspect witness and you're not sure if they can rely on the story they're telling or are they lying or are they misremembering or something like that. Whereas in the case of a detective, if somebody didn't see something, there's an excellent chance they didn't actually see something. (laughs) Right. There is always that. But I think one of the things that spotlights this is that a lot of times you have young detectives in small areas where they don't necessarily have the experience with these cases. They're just looking for a quick close. Um, because 95% of white women are killed by their spouse or their significant other. So it's only 5% of these types of crimes that they actually seem to fall into what we would call a whodunit category. And so I think it's really important to recognize that if for some reason you come under suspicion, for any reason really, your important words are, this is my name and I'd like a lawyer. If only Francis, what's his name, at the photo booth had said that in that first Silence of the Lambs picture. (laughs) Exactly, right? I mean, really, let's just start there. This is my name, and here's my lawyer. And I, I think that, you know, but again, I'm the person who also is not going to look at someone who picks up a lawyer and say, oh, they're automatically guilty because I happen to believe that that's the best thing that you can do. Like, people can judge you in the court of public opinion. That will not result in a lifetime sentence. Call me crazy. The cops might look at that differently. 
Yeah, they well, they very did well may. Officer, uh, hey, we're, there was somebody who got uh, got abducted down the street. Did you see anything? Talk to my lawyer. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, but you know what? By doing that, you've saved yourself any hassle because if they have nothing on you, they can't bring you back down there again. I think it's TV shows that have made us think cops think that. I think a lot of people, when they find they're under suspicion, they lawyer up because they don't really know how to act under suspicion. Exactly. Exactly. And more importantly, I don't care what the cops think. I don't care what the public thinks. I don't want to go to jail for something I did not do. Yeah. If I can avoid that by like not talking to them and putting a lawyer between us, I'm in. Every lawyer, every 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 villain on every Law and Order episode is gentlemen. I'd like to help you, but <laughs> I have to refer all of your inquiries to my attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, you find out it's the you know mass murdering uh, serial killer CEO. <laughs> you know, because they're common. In, in right, that. those guys are always out killing people. You always hear about. That. <laughs> Coming up in the next segment, Jim is going to take us on a trip down Nostalgia Lane that is perfect for a summer that's been full of nothing but stranger things. Flight leader to ideal fighter jet, clear for takeoff. Roger! Flight leader to ideal fighter jet, turn indicator on. Red warning light will tell you when you're off course. You're flying by radar. Holder steady. Enemy plane coming in at 2 o'clock. Enemy out of machine gun range. Set your range finder. Get set to use rockets. He's in my sight. Rockets ready. Fire one, fire two, three, four. Flying in Ideal's electronic fighter jet is like flying a real jet fighter. You work the throttle, indicators, radar scope, and warning light. You control six moving targets. Fire four rocket guns. Buy Ideal's fighter jet wherever good toys are sold. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I'm Mickey White along with Jim Garrity. And, of course, behind the board is Big Dave Perkins. And every single week, I like to play a little game online on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey Show. Um, and on Twitter, which you can find us as at Jim and Mickey. And uh, we were playing a game every week called Trivial Tuesday, which I really started, Jim, as a way during the primaries for giving people something else to do on a Tuesday night um, and something else to think about and talk about just to kind of break things up. And it's become a really fun segment with our listeners and our followers and fans. And you got sucked into our Trivial Tuesday this week. And uh, it actually led to you kind of having a little moment all about 2016. Well, yeah. I mean, you said, all right, so what two films summarize uh, the year 2016 so far. <laughs> and I know this is a pretty studiously non-political podcast, but this has been an election year. It's been a <clears throat> a year of intense divisions. I think it's been a year of great political cynicism. Um, I think that even if we don't talk about politics in this segment or on this show, I think that it's one of those things that in this particular angle that we're going to talk about anyway is something that's part of the culture just because it is an election the zeitgeist if you will yeah so basically this look 2016 has been a bad year it's been a year in which we've seen a lot of ugly things we've seen riots we've seen protests we've been seeing people prince uh, died yeah punched at uh punching each other um, ugly sediments coming to the fore and certainly not on just on one side of the political spectrum. 
And yet it doesn't feel I, I don't see people I, I see terrible things happening and I see most people not all that bothered by it. Um, it feels almost like sleepwalking through history to use the, the title of the book. So I started to think about what what shows, what films, what uh, what stories are about, uh, if not apocalypses, then something dystopian, like cheery dystopian. A dystopia where people don't realize they're in a dystopia, where things have gone wrong. And I thought of um, uh, Brave New World, in which most people are perfectly zonked out and perfectly happy with the state of the world, not realizing that they're being uh, manipulated and such. And I went back... A ninth to, grade staple and very solid book. Right. Um, and then I went you know, to the Wayback Machine. And, you know, if you have your your uh, vast trove of expertise in true crime, mine is in quickly forgotten and or canceled cult hit classics of the late <laughs> 80s and 90s. And you probably say, Jim, you don't come across as an Oliver Stone fan. I would say I, I generally agree. But in the 1993, he worked with a writer named Bruce Wagner to create this kind of cyberpunk, paranoid, limited series for ABC uh, called Wild Palms. And a lot of people compared it to Twin Peaks. And much to the irritation of both teams of creators, they kept insisting it has, one has nothing to do with the other. They just have similar names. Um, but there definitely was this like fever dream, surreal tone to it at the heart of Wild Palms uh, was basically it's a story of, uh, among other things, a powerful uh, 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 person in media who decides to run for president, who has a bunch of thugs and uh, starts convincing people to believe in a completely different reality than the one that there that actually exists. But that can never happen to him. But that's not the <laughs> Now the other thing is, is this is this is a series that you know if you look at the, the uh, this was not a pure you know uh, oh you'd say okay that's naturally a Donald Trump figure um, that is this was much more of a making fun of Scientology uh, it's much more of an L Ron Hubbard figure who's managed to get a large number of the public to buy into this so potato yeah. Um, and this idea of uh, – it's also, like I said, it's very cyberpunk, the idea of virtual reality and holographic television and people having a difficult time determining like – Tron. Yeah. Tron. Yeah. The idea of a story that is um, uh, very much the question of what is reality and how do you know when you're being manipulated is kind of at the heart of this story. Which – you know, that actually obviously very applicable but also – really lays in line with something that I believe is one of my core principles, which is, of course is that South Park teaches because this entire season of South Park was a significant reference to the fact that everyone has a brand now and you have yeah. to be able to see through the brand to see the real person or the real agenda. Yeah, and maybe this idea that things that once applied to corporations, that once applied to large institutions – habits of thinking, habits of uh, presenting oneself, going down to the individual core of identity. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's a, I'd argue it's a bad trend in society and one that we've, uh, uh, we've seen this, you know, kind of uh, a certain soullessness and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm surprised. I, I kind of figured people are going to think, oh, Jim's losing his mind. He's going crazy. Um, I, I, you know, how, I did you, how did your readers react? Because you actually mentioned this in the jolt. Yeah, less That's so. Big time we are, people. We got mentioned in the jolt for our Trivial Tuesday, so keep that in mind. Less, Jim, you've lost your mind than I thought. I don't know whether that's a sign that A, everybody agrees with me, B, nobody's actually reading <laughs> that far down, <laughs> um, or C, um, <coughs> no one cares. But part of the idea of like, 
Uh, look, I think it's been a bad year in politics. I think the trends in our politics are getting worse. I kind of feel like I'm I'm writing about competing cults of personality. Well, you uh, have that going on. But again, as I mentioned, Prince died, as have many other greats this year. And I think that in many ways, gener- Generation X is having a coming of age year and we don't like it. Yeah, it definitely feels like a passing of an era uh, of one set of rules and ideas and, and things that once were front and center in our life and are now kind of you know either fading and, and the torch is being passed to somebody, you know, the torch is being passed to a new generation. You're looking for a like new generation. set of rules, do you think, yeah. Tim? <laughs> <laughs> well, again, you know, a... And for those of you who are not in on this particular little joke, I do have a manuscript that I have written entitled The New Rules for the New Right. Yeah, well, so, you know, I, I felt the need to just kind of plug that right in there. Some, some might argue whether there are any rules anymore, but... Uh, no you know, rules! Woo! The, the idea that um, we, we have a, a politically correct movement, uh, heavily centered on college campuses, but also from some folks in the, in the media, some clearly it's very voracious online, this idea, you can't say that, and if you say things mm-hmm. we don't like, we will punish you. There are certain ideas that need to be driven from the public square. And you'd expect the counterweight to that. You'd expect the counterpunch, the pushback, to be coming from the right. But this is a year in which the Republican Party has nominated a man who openly gleefully talks about using and changing libel laws to drive his critics out of the public square. In other words, there is now a force on the left and a force on the right that unite in the idea that there are certain things that should not be expressed. The the idea of a bipartisan agreement – in favor of the First Amendment and freedom of expression is rapidly disappearing. And all of a sudden, there are these two forces on right and left that both want to restrict what you can say and from that ultimately think. Um, so that's Jim's paranoid ranting. Maybe I have more in common with Oliver Stone than I ever thought. Well, I think what you're <laughs> saying is that fascism on the right and socialism on the left are variations of the same apple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if not, and if not fascism, let's say quiet authoritarianism. There you go. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things, as I said, I'd like to continue uh, maybe talking about this after the break is that significant, and we can take this straight away from politics and into our real lives, but have we gotten to a point where we can't have conversations with people that we disagree with anymore? I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. We'll be right back after the break. You probably know the person who reaches for the phone and never reaches for the phone book. That's a waste of phone books and a waste of money. Every day, 13,000 of your telephone dollars go into paying operators to look up 185,000 numbers already listed in your directory. Before you reach for the phone instead of the phone book, stop and think about it. If you honestly need a number and can't find it listed, call us. That's why we're here. But please, look in the book first. When you're out to get the beer, don't fool around. Get the best name in the business Oh, old Milwaukee beer It tastes as great as its name Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And you know, Mickey, it was about a year ago that we had our friends Mary Catherine Hamm and Guy Benson on the program. We were doing a bit of 90s nostalgia, but they also talked about their book, End of Discussion. And I think it was out how uh, – I think they were pointing the finger at liberals, and I think we've kind of pointed out that it's not merely a liberal phenomenon. The idea of attempting to cut off public debate of certain topics, of trying to drive certain voices and ideas from the public scene. Yo. <laughs> you know, 
our, our podcast is about pop culture. And you can't create that culture unless you have the freedom to actually speak your mind and come up with your ideas and tell the stories you want to tell. And some people might love them and some people might hate them. But, you know, there's probably nothing more ominous than this, than this seemingly uh, broad-based desire to have people stop saying things that offend me, stop saying things that bother me. Um, it's, in a way, it's sort of an anti-culture. And uh, I don't know, is this, is this a good paranoid, ominous uh, note to end our podcast on, Mickey? They're trying to well, make the whole I, world a safe space. I don't know if space. it's paranoid if they're really out to get you <laughs> because what we've seen in the last, even in the last couple of weeks alone, not to mention the last year, is that not only has it gotten worse, now it has gotten to the point where Ellen DeGeneres is getting called out for making a joke about Usain Bolt because it's racist or Amy Schumer of all people is calling out people for, you know, making comments that she felt were disrespectful to women. I remember a couple of years ago, Ellen DeGeneres made a wisecrack that gave away the game at the Oscars. She joked about how if you don't vote for 12 years a slave Academy member, that means you are a racist. And everyone laughed uncomfortably because they knew it was true. Now she herself is being called a racist for a stupid photo meme where she's riding on Usain Bolt's back while he races faster than anybody else in history. It was so cute. I loved it. But how in the world? can they call that racist but they did she got bit by her own joke mm-hmm. and, and notice by the way like so you'd think ellen degeneres who's been probably one of the most successful and and you know well compensated <coughs> popular daytime show hosts of all time suddenly has to justify herself suddenly has to prove her non-racist bona fides mm-hmm. to to these to these uh, unknown people on the internet People who never done over anything. A Photoshop and the idea of boy, wouldn't it be great if you know the world's fastest man could ferry us around on his back? Well, and she's <laughs> not even air. close to the only one who had herself photoshopped onto his back. It was a funny meme that was going on, but again, it's it's that overreaction of people just waiting to be upset about something instead of just looking at it and laughing. And again, someone else I think that we're going to see more happening too with this is Amy Schumer, as I mentioned earlier. She's dipped her toes in politics. You know, reports are now starting to come out about her personal life and she's got the book out which you know certainly portrays her as being a totally different person than what she would like the public to believe through her comedy and now she's actually complaining that people are being offensive the woman who made her entire career out of saying the word for vagina like a million times she's calling for a safe space <laughs> she suddenly needs a safe space and it, I, that's the part that bothers me it's it's nice to note that there are still good things out there um both good people and things that are entertaining i want to recommend to our listeners to check out better late than never a new show that i'd like to talk about a little bit more maybe next week with terry bradshaw harry winkler or Henry Winkler, I'm sorry, and uh, Bill Shatner, and George Foreman, That's traveling great. the world. And one of the best interviews given is by Henry Winkler, if those of you know him as the Fonz, and he talks about them eating pig vaginas. <laughs> just so, four little old I, men. I, I, when, I had the, you know, when I thought of Amy Schumer, let's just say I thought of that interview. Oh. <laughs> That's offensive. Dave, cut off. <laughs> <laughs> I can't um, cut off anyone's mic here. They cut off themselves yeah. automatically. <laughs> Skype will do that for us. The uh, you know, or or the next computer upgrade to kind of take our show full circle. So. Yeah, right. so uh, isn't it? life is a flat circle, <laughs> um, as they say on True Detective. Oh, we are just coming through with all those lines today. So 
Anyway, here we are once again at the end of our hour. It does go by so very quickly, even though sometimes we get a late start or have nothing but computer glitches. We thank you so much for sticking by us and sticking with us. You are literally listening with thousands of other T-Jams fans. That's the Jim and Mickey Show hashtag if you're looking for us on Twitter. You can always find us at SoundCloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey Show. You can find us on Facebook forward slash Jim and Mickey Show. And uh, as I've said before, you can find us on Twitter at Jim and Mickey. You can also hit us up online and message us through our Facebook pages, etc. But one of the things we just appreciate so much is that you listen to the show and you're sharing it with others because we're growing and reaching larger markets every single week. Thank you so much for being here with us. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And you've been listening to the one and only Jim and Mickey Show. You do better watch what you say. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Now my heart is breaking, but I just keep on saying hey. 